My name is David Martinez. Is there any reason for North Americans to raise support, go abroad and serve as missionaries? I don't think there's any need for missionaries, for a full-time career style missionaries, people who raise support in the United States and then go to other countries. Huh. What do you think? Uh, as a full-time missionary raise support in the States, say more. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I think. There was a time possibly, no, not possibly. There was a time in which uh, there was a need for people from different countries to go to other countries and bring the gospel as it were, right? You're talking about un, unreached people, countries that didn't have churches, for instance. But now 2022, pretty globalized world, the internet, uh, Christians in most countries, the idea that a North American would, a North American, somebody from the United States would say, I am going to raise support in the United States and then go to France as a missionary is really not necessary anymore. France has Christians there. They have French pastors. Uh, you know, I read a statistic recently that's, that said 90% of missionaries go to countries that are 100% reached. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's a Christian in that country, but that there's an infrastructure in that country already in place. Why are you going to this country? I guess I would say it seems somewhat hegemonic to me to say that North Americans shouldn't go. And I think this is why there used to be an older picture, right? That missions was the phrases from the West to the rest, to the rest yep. that we Western people are bringing the message to the rest of the world. And so if the picture is we don't need to do that anymore, means we've already brought it to the rest of the world. But in the, in the nineties and eighties, there's all these missionary movements that are challenging that idea to say, no, 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 no. Actually, mission is supposed to be the whole church bringing the whole gospel to the whole world. So if Western missionaries aren't going elsewhere, then elsewhere missionaries shouldn't be also coming to the West. And I think that's probably a big misunderstanding of what mission ought to be. The reality is the North American continent needs the gospel, and we need missionaries from external sources to answer objectively the kind of prophetic words that we need to hear. And if we need it, then others need it too. But that's a little bit different, don't you think? I, I don't know that I would say that missionaries aren't necessary, per se. I think the old model of raising support, asking for churches to give you money so that you can go live in, in some of these foreign countries. I, again, I think there is there's a lot more value to, for instance, getting a job, let's say teaching English. It's, it's very easy to uh, get a TESOL certificate, get it, take a few classes, become trained, and then go to a foreign country and teach English. Then you're going as somebody who is working I'm there living. I'm going to be a part of this culture. I'm going to live, work, uh, be a part of this. And as part of who I am, I'm going to then also um, participate in local churches, 
help in any way that I can. It seems a little bit different. I guess maybe I could add a little bit more nuance to my phrase. The the old model of raising support from the United States. I, you know, you talk about from from the the West to the rest. I've heard that before, and it's true that there are some uh, missionaries coming from other parts of the world coming to the United States, and this. You know, when a lot of people hear this, it kind of boggles the mind. Like, what do you mean? We don't need missionaries. So, of course, uh, there is a, a need for people to hear the gospel. The, the difference there, I think, is that they're bringing a different, maybe a different flavor, you could say. Uh, something that they hadn't something encountered objective. before. Yeah, objective. That, can you say more about that objective? Yeah. That, I, I, uh, I hear objective and I, and I start to like twitch a little bit. Yeah, so when I, when I talk about... Um, the gospel to other Americans as an American, it's it's somewhat like a fish talking about water, right? Okay. That we all know what, where, where we are. We, know, we all know what life is. But at the same time, when you ask a fish, what's water like? I, I mean, I don't know. It just is. Versus someone coming in and saying, why are you doing it that way? This is a totally outside of the box perspective to say, yeah, I get that you guys feel like this is normal, but it's not to the rest of the world. We live our faith in this other way. Can you hear our perspective and then maybe find some value in both and maybe make some adjustments to Do you yours? think that there is a place, uh, are there groups of people, churches who would listen to that? There must be, like, <laughs> but only if they're people of Jesus, right? I mean, that's part of the gospel is that we recognize that we need help. Yeah, that we recognize that we are not the whole picture. It's a it's a whole body of Christ, and every part isn't like good. Every yeah. part is necessary. I, I ask because I would assume that coming from a different country, coming to the United States, and saying you're doing things differently, this is how we do it. You could see that as as a cultural difference, and there's going to be ultimately you're going to fall back on you know, the way we do things, this is, you know, we use the King James Bible or, you know, whatever right. Bible, whatever translation, like, is this is right. We're all convinced that we, we are the ones who have carried truthfully uh, the truth throughout the ages and whatever denomination you happen to be in. And so hearing that could be a little bit jarring. I would, I would love, it'd be fascinating to have that conversation um, to, to talk to somebody who would listen to a missionary from a foreign country would be amazing. Any well, that's, country. I, that's where I agree with you. I think coming with the right story, with the right perspective, with the right culture. Yeah. But see, this is my problem. Nightmare. So this is this is the thing with when, when I make my comment about do we need full-time missionaries who raise support from the United States going to other countries? Here's, here's the problem. Uh, historically, traditionally, well, historically, not everybody, but frequently... Uh, what gets exported is not so much the gospel as much as it is U.S. culture, middle-class culture, uh, you know, a way of doing church that often it can be in conflict with different cultural practices in these other countries, which is why, again, rather than becoming a missionary, if you were to go, I'm not saying, this is the thing, I'm not saying don't go because a lot of people, they do, there's a calling, let's talk about calling for a second, not quite yet, yeah. but let's get to yeah. the calling. Yeah. A lot of people do feel this call to go uh, and and preach the gospel, as it were, right? I'm not going to be the one to say, you shouldn't go, right? but I'm going to be the one to say, think about it. Yeah. Because when you, when you, first of all, why are you going to a specific country? Are you going uh, because you feel called to this particular country? Uh, you know, again, I'm going to 
reference this stat again, 90% of missionaries go to countries that are 100% reached. Wouldn't you be a little bit more, um, let's say, strategic about your missionary career and say, I'm going to go to the place that doesn't have any anybody. There's nobody there. That's where God needs people the most, right? I, I think so. Don't don't listen yeah. to God's calling. Listen to the stats. Well, I, I I think that that's taking way too much credit for good ideas. I mean, for me to decide who needs the gospel most because of a religious history feels super audacious for me to kind of assume. I think the United States has a desperate need for some perspective. I think we need people to come to this 100% reached country and share the gospel with us in a new way. Uh, The reason it should be financially supported from your country of origin is because every part of the church should be bringing the gospel. And every part of the church also should be developed enough to send their own missionaries. I mean, this is this is part of the faith and trust in God's provision at the same time. Like for us to say that we should send missionaries over, but not anticipate others coming to us, they shouldn't pay their own way here. I mean, that doesn't, that feels hegemonic again to me. Mm-hmm. On the other side of that is to say, we should value other nations also as much as we value our own. So we should invest in other places. Other places should value other nations too. So they should invest in the idea of global missions. Most of the church right now is not from the West, right? I mean, statistics also share that the majority of the church is from Africa, South America, the the global South. Uh, That church should be sending missionaries. And I think if they were, the the character and the, the voice of the church was be so positively influenced. We would hear more about what the church says rather than what the Western church says if the church was sending missionaries into the field. Okay, but what kind of message are you sending to us to a particular country when you when you say, hey, we see the churches that you have, we see the pastors that you have. Here's an here's an American to come in and help you. Here's an American who's gonna, you know, uh, kind of help you push or help you advance or get bigger or whatever, you know, whatever term you want to use. What kind of message does that, does that send though? And I told, I, I don't want to be the, I guess, angels advocate. Is that the way this goes? (laughs) Uh, Because you're right. There is a whole bunch of terrible missionary work happening. There's a whole bunch of really demeaning ways of seeing uh, the way God's working within a culture and assuming that I'm going to bring God with me to a culture. All of that happens more often than, than I think we would even be comfortable with, right? right. But but it, and, and it comes. And from, I don't think it means don't go. No, right. I think it means be wise, be honest, be humble, and go. It's problematic, though, to a certain extent, because we are off. And again, be careful with stereotypes and sort of the, the typical traditional kind of missions event, let's say you're, you, you, you're a pastor, right? And so I imagine you have missions events, right? You have like a focus on missions. Once a quarter. Once a quarter. Yeah. My parents were a part of a number of them and they come and let's say you, you have somebody in your church, you don't know them very well. And they, they happen to come to your church for the first time or around that time when you have this focus on missions and you know, you're spent some time in Tanzania as a missionary there, correct? Eight years, eight, yep. nine years. Yep. And so you have this beautiful video, four minutes, beautiful music in the background, kids and so forth. And this new person in your church is very impacted by this video, comes up to you after the service and says, pastor, I feel like God is calling me to go to Tanzania as a missionary. 
What do you respond? Name's Nick. First response. <laughs> okay. uh, Pastor re- Nick. Yeah. What is <laughs> what is your advice for me? I feel called, led by God, to be a missionary in Tanzania. Uh, you should keep listening. Dig into that. Listen harder. Talk with other people that have gone there before. Read a few books. You should listen carefully because that's a great thing to go do. I guess part of the thing that feels different to me about that whole picture, though, is we we don't do the video, right? I mean, <laughs> okay, yeah, I put a scenario, right? You know, you- but instead, what we do is we we share that service with a Spanish-speaking church, right? So we're bilingual in the service, and we're equitable in how we present the message that day. We make sure that when we're talking about places that we're partnering with, we're not talking about places that we're serving. We're talking about places that we're partnering with. Hmm. Because I, I think all of the ways that we have built this picture of mission still affects us, that uh, you know, causes us to talk about, we are helping them. We're serving there. We're doing something in this place. Instead of, there's a lot of the church all over the place. We're one part of it. Right. But you know what I'm getting at, which is this the idea this idea of being called can often be uh, abused. You know, I, I often say or I joke that uh, most North Americans can't tell the difference between hunger and the voice of God and passion for their own sports team, you sure. know, which is, I'm joking, but right. uh, but there's an element of truth there where you, you just let yourself be guided by your emotions and then you find yourself in this place of, I want to be a missionary in this in this country, when at the same time, the same person, maybe it was a part of a, of a high school and a university where they never took any foreign language course, never any, took any geography course, didn't care about cross-cultural, you know, we, most universities offer uh, cross-cultural communication. They didn't take that class, or if they took it, they had to and hated it. Right. You know, so I think when I deal with the, you know, I don't, I don't want to say typical either, because I'm not going to put everybody in one boat. But there is this this sense that, you know, you grew up in, in a country in the United States where we don't really value uh, foreign language, second language acquisition. Um, geography is not a thing either. I In some of my classes, I, I will sometimes give them a map. If we're studying, for instance, the Caribbean, I'll give them a map of the Caribbean and have them you know, write down the countries and it's a very embarrassing day for them. And I kind of do it on purpose because I want them to see that, you know, and, and then there's this moment of, Oh, I should probably know some of this stuff because it's not not that far away. And so for that same person to all of a sudden feel called by God to go to a foreign country, a place that a couple of weeks ago, they didn't know where it was, didn't know it existed. And now they're going to go and make an impact and change the world. And right. And I, I, what I hear you getting at is like cheap calling. Yes. Right. That yeah. I got called in a second and now I'm going to go. And as soon as it gets hard, I might feel another cheap calling elsewhere. I, I, I think the one, one of the difficulties that we can do, even as like well-meaning people, is to say, I don't think you're doing it right, too. I, the reality is that no one ever does it right. I mean, we're all going to enter into whatever it is that we sense God's calling us to and we're going to fumble around along the way. I know my initial experience in an overseas place, I'd made some pretty bonehead decisions. The way that I talked about uh, raising funds was pretty knucklehead-ish of me. I mean, I remember even one conversation I had with a guy that I, I about a year later had a conversation with his son 
having talked to his dad about supporting me to go overseas, raising money to go. And I had this like really great pitch ready. I had all these like, like maps out. Right. And I'm, I'm doodling on it and showing him all this really great stuff I'm going to do when I get there. And then at the end was the punchline where I say, some are called to go. Some are called to send. <laughs> and like I'd heard this, this is what I'd been taught to say. And it, it, it worked too. Right. I mean, the guy felt really engaged in that. He went to talk to his son who was about my age and says, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Nick's called to go. I'm called to send. And his son came back to me a year later and was mad at me. How, how can you say to my dad that he isn't called to go? Do you know he's a mailman? Do you know that he goes to doors every day, missionally? How, how could you say that? And I realized, oh, yeah, I blew it. I think that's kind of the point of a calling. I mean, kind of the point of hearing God is to say, I think you're saying this. I'm probably going to get it wrong halfway down the road, but is it cheap or am I stuck to it? And even if we go without any cultural intelligence, but we're committed to the voice of God, I think we're going to gain cultural intelligence because we count it at a cost. The other side of that is to use a little bit of wisdom and say, why don't you dig deep into your calling and take some classes before you go? Why don't you learn and practice? One of the, I mean, the perspectives classes all over the country, all over the world. Simplest class to take and opens your mind up to every bit of uh, cultural, ac you know, acquisition, cultural yeah. understanding. Language, language acquisition. Language acquisition. Oh, I mean, there's so many resources. It's crazy to not think before you go. Yeah, but going back to the calling, uh, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think my experience... Uh, is a little bit different in that I deal mostly with with the kind of student or kind of person who feels a very emotional connection, and then you call you're calling it a cheap calling. Uh, the education piece seems important, but what do you? What about? Okay, fine. I'm I'm going to make these blunders. I'm going to make these mistakes. But missionaries who go abroad and do more damage than good, uh, you know, who through these blunders are you could even say let, let's do the opposite right you're like you're what's the opposite of, of bringing people to jesus right you're creating even even bigger barriers yeah pushing them away from and, uh, and all because you you felt like you had this calling you know uh, the the question to ask often is are you really being called and if so you know, like I said and i agree with everything that you're saying it, it requires a lot of work uh I, I often question whether we're up for this work we're up for that because it's it's hard. You've experienced it. I witnessed my parents experience it. It's it's difficult and it's hard. Um, and so, I don't know. I think a more strategic approach, which is why I advocate for, you really you feel called, then you know, go, get get an education. What is it? Where do you want to go? What is this country that you feel called that you want to go to? What is the industry? What are kind of job? What kind of jobs are available? And even that gets problematic because now you're going into this country and you're taking away some potentially somebody's job. Well, and it right? feels important to say too, if you're called to something, which I, I guess my faith says every person in the world is called to something, right? Yeah. Uh, do you want to be good at it? I mean, do you want to be effective? You could, you can go and probably do a terrible job and not do any education, not do any learning, not stretch yourself at all. Or you could be really good at your calling. 
So why don't you just plan on being good at whatever it is you're called to? And whether that's teaching in university, uh, delivering the mail, moving overseas and and doing something uh, vocationally there, you should try your hardest to do your best. So learn. I, I appreciate that a lot. There's a great book that came out many years ago by uh, Frankie Schaefer called Addicted to Mediocrity. Mm. And uh, just kind of sort of denouncing it. It was it had to do with the arts more than anything, but I think you could apply it to other aspects of Christianity where we're just we're we're okay being mediocre because it's Christian and it's for God, and so right. we can just do whatever. But this, so he's there's this Evil. calling of you know like, let's get back to like let's be good, let's be good because let's be the the the, the best that we can, or or yeah, um, be really good at what at what you do. Well, we know these verses too, right? Like. What is it? In Revelation, it says this, I'd rather you were hot or cold, but lukewarm's the worst. Yeah. And that, that feels like it points towards what, what we're talking about maybe is like the cheap calling is just really mediocre. But in the spirit of raising support, uh, at the same time, you have these, you have people raising support, four, five, six, seven thousand dollars to go live in per countries. Month. Yeah, per, yeah, per month. We're not talking per year. This is four to seven thousand dollars per month which is more than a lot of people make in the United States to go live in countries where the average salary is maybe three, $400 a month. And that creates uh, a difference in, you could even say class, right? Now you're in a different class. I remember when I was, I went to, to Mexico, it was, I was a part of a soccer team and our, our preseason, it was kind of a sort of short-term mission strip slash we're going to go play soccer. You How'd know? you do? Uh, we won some games, lost some games, <laughs> but, uh, at the time I met this, um, a missionary who'd been there for a couple of weeks and his brand new white minivan, hmm. uh, driving around and, and it was beautiful. The guy couldn't speak a word of Spanish, not a word of Spanish. And I felt embarrassed for him. Hmm. And so I don't know his, his particular situation. I don't know what he was there for. It could be any number of things. Maybe he was supposed to be on the back end of things. Maybe he was never going to talk to Mexico. It seems to me that if you're going to be a missionary in Mexico, at least you should speak Spanish. seems to me that should be like the, you know, at the very least, but you know, and again, and I'm making all kinds of assumptions with this white brand new minivan. My wife talks about this all the time as well with certain missionaries in Spain where they had they were, they lived very luxurious lives. They lived on the outside of Madrid in these beautiful chalets. And I think that's, that can be problematic as well. Definitely. <clears throat> I think there's, uh, there's some pieces where we might see that story from a Western perspective too, where we've worked so hard to be so equitable about everything that we've forgotten though, that that's our cultural perspective. Like we want everything to be a level playing field, everything to be, um, fair starting points for everybody. Uh, everybody else in the world, I mean, there's lots of different ways of looking at what's the best kind of living. So uh, in uh, a lot large portions of Africa, we don't want everything level. Like we want a chief. We want someone that can represent the best of us and we can rally around that that person that I, I, is that a I good don't think I don't see the world like that. But for me to say that my way is better I is see. kind okay. of part of the point right, right. that uh, when I come as a Western person to East Africa and I show up in shambles without anything to offer, but my voice, uh, there's kind of this odd question. What did, what did you bring? If you brought nothing, why did you come? Well, I brought, I brought the word of God. We already have it. Uh, 
well, then why did you come? Uh, when I when I started to change some of my perspective in my own fundraising purpose, I realized I can raise some money for what I need. I also come from a wealthy nation, so I can plan ahead for my retirement time. And then I can raise this money to bring and to offer as a gift from the church in America to the church in Tanzania. And this isn't something that I also get to like use to manipulate people. I'm going to pay you now so you're going to do it the way I want, but to say, we have these resources. Can we talk together about how these could best be used? So one of the things we did was we rented a small apartment for a long time and we constantly were asked, why aren't you building a house? No, we can live with you. We can live among you. We're going to, we're going to stay in this little thing. They're like, don't you come from North America? Would you build a house here? Would you go back and raise some money, build a house here? Because you're not going to stay forever. And when you leave, we're going to have the equity from that house. And it's going to cause a consistent amount of income because we're going to rent it out. Mm. And people are going to pay to stay in it. And then we're going to have a constant source of income here. And we bought a house. We built a house. We didn't build it in the outskirts. We built it inside the compound where we were all living together. And I remember being shocked how many people would walk by during the construction time. And they would, like one lady in particular, she'd she'd walk by, walk in, and just kind of look around and walk and look. I said, what are you doing? And she's like, dreaming. (laughs) And I thought, oh man, I was I was so short-sighted because I wanted everything to stay so equitable in a place where hierarchy is the mode of society. And I, I think there's more to the story than just simply saying, let's keep it flat. Right. And I, I understand that to a certain extent. I, I don't want to get into this position of saying, you know, missionaries shouldn't have iPads. You know, what are you doing with that iPad? Or what are you doing with that brand new computer? I don't think that's the that's the point of this. Brand thing. new white van. The, 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 white, the white van, right. These are, these are specific things, you know, that maybe help or don't help or deter or, or advance. This is, you know, the, the, the similarity maybe is the church in North America that builds this big, massive basketball court, you know, because we're going to use it for the youth. And then as soon as it's built, we put, we, we lock it up. Right. Cause nobody right. can use it except for, you know, if you, yes. if you come to our church, it's a classic example. Right. So let's have this brand new white van that we're going to use to, we're going to bring people to church on Sunday, but then it turns into our family van that we need to be safe while we drive around this, this dangerous country. I, you know, I don't know. There's gotta be a balance though Definitely. at the same time between, uh, you know, if the, if the average, maybe the, it can be determined based on average salaries. I, I don't know. Uh, you certainly want to, um, empower people as well. But well, so that, I, th- I think you're t- touching on the, the most important like piece is the audacity to go and make your own budget versus going with a community, whether that's a sending organization or a church denomination or some other organizations already set up in country to go and say, What's an appropriate salary salary for me to petition a budget to a community of people that are multicultural and then and then live within that boundary? Yeah, but not just that. See, there's a lot more to it. This is what we talked about at the beginning is that you have a, an external agency, let's say the United States, and we've already talked about the West to the rest, rest to the West, right? Yeah. We've, we've tackled that. But it's true that most, well, not most, many missionaries come from U.S. organizations uh, based in the United States that then send missionaries. And these missionaries have to sign life agreements 
values, if you will. So for instance, missionaries who go to Spain with some of these organizations are not allowed to drink alcohol. So they cannot have a glass of wine, a glass of beer, because there's a, a, a way to read scripture in which this is a sin, a, a horrible sin, right? It's okay to eat 19 Big Macs, but it's not okay to have a glass of wine, right? There's a value statement yeah. that's made, right? Yep. And so uh, it, picture, and so I, somebody who grew up in Spain, this, this, these cultural differences, these Christians, I remember learning at, at some point, I forget how old I was, but you know, seeing a Christian smoking a cigarette, you know, or seeing, a, you know, I remember seeing one of our, he wasn't a youth pastor, but he was involved with the youth and he was smoking a cigar at a campfire, you know, sort of camping event. And I was like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Or the first time I, I, you know, I encountered a pastor who drank alcohol, drank beer, and this is kind of like, what's going on, right? But it's, it's a different culture. And so that's where it can get problematic, where you're sending well-meaning North American uh, Christians who feel called, right, and who have these ideas of going to a foreign country, but are they exporting the gospel? Are they exporting the good news of Jesus? Or are they exporting U.S. middle class, their own particular values? Yeah. And, and then what does that do to their culture? How does their culture start to start to shift and change? And then the, you know, these Christian churches that get propped up all over the place, denominations, you know, when I grew up in, in Spain, it wasn't that common to see denominational churches. It was the churches were based on the neighborhood or the street, and you know, more and more now you do have the the more sort of like territorial. This is a, you know, whatever Baptist church and so forth. But that's I think that's problematic. So you have the issue of not just let's go to a country and figure out what is um, a typical salary or normal salary, if you will, but also what are the values. Uh, what what is the culture? And again, this ties back to to what I was saying earlier about how often the same people who are called to ministry are the same ones who ignore foreign language acquisition courses, who ignore these classes and so forth. And so it's I go back to my my point. You want to be a missionary? That's fine, but why not go to this country and get a job there? Carefully get you know get a job because that's gonna that's gonna get you into the culture without this these organizations that are that are going to impose things on you and then you have the freedom to recognize some of these cultural differences and to make yeah. adjustments on your own i think uh what what i'm hearing from like from what what we're saying here is that there is probably a human condition of either selfishness or arrogance that yes. can infiltrate any number of great ideas right so if you go to get a job you can still be super uh judgy I mean, if, if, you, if you work in a place, you can be territorial, that work your way up the system and then control everybody underneath you in this foreign country. You can, but or, I think it'd be a little bit different. I think, I think there's less potential for that. I, this could be a problematic. I don't, I don't have any well, there's because, no stats to back this well, up. But it, I think if you're, in a, if you're in a different company in a different country, then your coworkers are going to be from that country. See, there's, it's much different working for a company in that country owned by people from that country than having your boss be in Colorado Springs you know, sort of dictating kind yeah. of what's what's okay and what's not okay. There's yes. all kinds of values or but there, things there, that happen. I guess it depends on what place you're going to also. And what kind of person you are too. You're not wrong. Yeah. In, in East Africa, if a Western person got a job in any company, they would move very quickly regardless of their <laughs> ability, <actual> ability <laughs> right? Because there's a connotation to a Western person. They're educated. Every time, every time a team comes, there's always the question, the second we walk in a church building, is this person preaching? No, 
This person has never given a public speech in their life. You don't want them to do this. Yes, we do. They've come a long way. I'm sure they're fantastic. See, this is all the more reason to be careful about going yes. because often in these countries, as soon as you step into the to these the subculture, the Christian subculture in the countries, you're the celebrity. Yep, you're the top dog, mm-hmm. right? With for, through no effort or through no talent, yet, value of or, your own. Yes, and that's the point. Is that it's, you can abuse any situation, whether you're funded from the West or whether you're employed from the East, I think the lesson is be humble, to recognize your own fallibility, your own uh, brokenness, your own need for the rest of the world to affect you as much as you want to affect it. And I, I guess that's kind of where I see the difference between a great missionary practice and either a okay or really painful missionary practice. I remember when I first went to East Africa and I showed up and I met all these people that had been there longer than I had. And some had not been there very long at all. And some had been there for many, many years. And there was a difference in this way of assuming the longevity of their time. Uh, Some of the new faces or fresh people would have this like I'm going to be here forever. I'm never going to leave. This is my dying place. I brought my coffin with me. And then there's this other old dude that's been there for 15, 20 years. And I remember him sitting me down and saying, God was here long before I got here. God will be here long after I leave. And almost like this sense of a death date, Yeah. you know, in your time in the place, the reality that you're a very small part of a very big story. It allows you to have this other perspective to say, this has never been about me, whether I'm paid or not. Um, I I want to go before you recommend the book. I want to, I would like to go back to a, a Jonah style calling Mm. to missionaries, you know, because this is the thing. Most of missionaries or many missionaries have to kind of manufacture a story of how they didn't want to go. I didn't want to go because that's kind of what you hear. But truthfully, Jonah, who was called right to, to preach to the to Nineveh, didn't want to go and goes the complete opposite direction. And all these things happen, right, to shake him <laughs> and send him. Right. I think the opposite happens today. Hmm. I think the opposite happens. I think now we there, there's a calling to go to a, a country. And if it's not easy, then it means that I'm not supposed to go there. Let me give you an example. There was a group of, there a group of five people. They went to Spain, 1975, to, it was a short-term missions trip, to decide, right, to, to figure out a mission field for the next X number of years, five of them. Okay, there's a couple, married couple and three other people. The married couple, the, the wife was pregnant, didn't know it, so she was very sick, had morning sickness, had a horrible time. The, the husband got worms, ate something and got worms in his stomach and was sick the entire time. So had a horrible experience. The other three, they're out talking to people, handing out tracks, because that's what you did in the 1970s. I don't think you do that anymore, but that's what you did. They're out and they just had this incredible spirit-filled experience, right? And so at the, at the, toward the end of this trip, it was very clear that God was calling these three people to be missionaries in Spain because of the impact that they had had. But these couple... It was obvious that God had said, this isn't the place for you, right? Because it's hard. Because you were sick. Yeah. And, you know, if you were meant to be here, you would have had this amazing, it would have been converted, fun. right? Well, it turns out um, the couple, as you can imagine, they were my parents. They uh, were the ones who went back to Spain 
were missionaries there for 40 years. And these three other people never went back to Spain right. or they might've gone back to visit or to travel. But I, I love, I like that story because it, it goes back to this, um, this idea that's tied into calling with, let's go and see if I can live here. That happened when I was in Taiwan. We helped my wife and I hosted a, a, um, one of our friend's friend, she was from Holland and she came to, to see if she could live in Taiwan to see if she could be a missionary. And I just remember feeling a little bit uncomfortable with that. I don't know if that's how it works, you know, but you're called or you the don't research, feel called. Like, isn't that part of the research that you're saying you wish people would do? Like, would you no, learn a language I, ahead of time? It, would yeah. you figure out what it means to be a missionary? <laughs> Have you ever been to Taiwan? <laughs> what if you're allergic to all of the food? You just stay there? Fair yeah. enough. Okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll concede. But I, <laughs> I want to take it one step further. I want to say, if you feel called, if this is your calling, then you need to look on, on, a, on some, look at, look at some stats and find out where the least reached people are. And that's where you need to go. And that's the language you got to learn. And that's the food you have to learn to, let's be honest, food, yeah, you can learn to love it. So learn to love it. Yeah. I might, I, I might agree with you in that too. Frederick Buechner says, um, you find where your deepest passion meets the world's greatest need. Mm -hmm. And this is where you find your calling. And I think, Right, to, but that's where you find it. You just research and there's study. It's not yes, this feeling. That's right. This emotional thing. Well, and the idea of passion is like I have a, a sense of gifting. I, I there's something that I'm good at, and it matches with what somebody needs. Mm. And instead of like I I want to do something flashy, I'm not good at flashy. Uh, I think even though a nation might be described as reached, there's still a space where you might be needed somewhere in the world that doesn't seem maybe the most obvious. Uh, I think the idea is obedience, which is why I brought this book today. This is a Eugene Peterson book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He talks about the culture that we've created for ourselves in the West of always get what you want now. And so there's a sense that our faith also kind of catapults into that kind of thinking too, that my, my obedience to God is now, and then it'll be different when it I'm obeying something else in a minute. Instead of saying, actually, calling God's purpose, obedience to God, and then the, like, the fruitfulness of discipleship on the other side comes from saying, that's where I'm headed. Mm -hmm. And I might squirrel along the way and like take a little bit off course paths, but I'm going that way and I'm going there for a long time. This is a great book if you're interested in more of that kind of thinking. I'm going to recommend a provocative book. Uh, it's called Don't Sleep, There Are Snakes by Daniel Everett. Daniel Everett was a missionary to the Piraha people in the Amazon and uh, in Brazil. And he arrived in the late 1970s. He was there for, I think, nearly 40 years uh, trying to learn their language, learn their culture, their custom. And the whole idea was to translate the Bible into their language and convert them, bring them to Jesus, as it were. And in the process, he lost his faith. He mm -hmm. he jokes in interviews and in the book that uh, he only he only got one convert, and it was himself. Mm. He became an atheist. So uh, before you write this off, <laughs> uh, I find often that this kind of text further uh, cements and helps grow my faith. I I find it much more invigorating. 
uh, often than the sort of classical story of, I went as a missionary and converted 900 people. Yay, me. Uh, you know, to hear somebody's difficulty, struggles, to hear, um, you know, his internal kind of thought process, not to mention that it's a great uh, it's it's very well written and it's a great read. It also, if you if you enjoy linguistics, he gets into language and how it works and so forth. So that's it's as good all its own. But it's also, you know, just great to hear the preparation, the process, the dedication that it takes to be this kind of missionary. And it's a good reminder that it's not for everybody. Yeah. It, it really it really isn't. And so again, maybe a, a odd book to to recommend, but I've. I read it for class, and uh, and I and I've got some great feedback from students um, recognizing too that this kind of text, rather than have it shake their faith, it kind of it strength it strengthens gives it them a deeper reason. Well. For yeah, it. yeah, and I think those texts are it's good. It's good to be challenged sometimes. I think so. Yeah, don't sleep. There are snakes. Daniel Everett, uh, check it out. I think it's time to pin the globe. Shoot, do you want to spin it? Spin this guy. Let's pin the globe. Right. India. India. You've been to India? I have not been to India. The plan was always to, we were living in Taiwan, my wife and I were living in Taiwan, and the plan was when we were going to go back to Europe, we were going to go spend a couple of months in India. And we didn't get the chance because we got a job in Syracuse and kind of, all the plans changed, but my friend, uh, my British friend in Taiwan, he loved India and uh, he went numerous times and he came back. And, and I remember the comment that he made was like um, the people and, you know, just the amazing experiences. But he said, one of the things that I always appreciate when I come back from India is that everything works. Like I uh. would come back and turn the faucet on and it would work. And and uh, he would say things like I, I bought a bus ticket and it was, you know, 28 hours late, <laughs> you know, and that, that, that kind of story. And, and I love, I love that because I, I would love to experience that one day. I'm toying with the idea of leading a juniors abroad to India. We lost our professor who leads the juniors abroad trip to India. Uh, I don't know if that would be the kind of trip where you could, you could wait for a bus for 28 hours. 28 so it might hours. be a little bit different experience. That's crazy. Um, but no, have you, what is your, uh, I'm planning a trip to India this coming year. Oh, wow. We've had this really interesting thing happen on our live stream at church where uh, we've started to have this followership in Southeast India oh. and we started to make these really great relationships. This is because of Zoom? You're, you're, yeah, well, we're, <laughs> we're just live streaming as we're ever since COVID, right? Okay. And uh, I got an email one day from a guy that just said, can I talk to the pastor? And so I, waited some time, right? I don't know if this is like a catfish kind of thing. So I waited a week or so, emailed back. Yes, let's make an appointment to look face-to-face -face over Zoom. Mm -hmm. A couple weeks go by, we have this Zoom call and we're talking and he's, he's really kind of amazing. He, I mean, I'm asking him like these like leading questions. Who are you? How did you find us? What do you, what do you want? And he said, I, I just want to learn the word of God. And my thought is like, okay, well, who, what's in your area, right? And wh why me? And he kind of got this big smile over his face. And he said, I had a dream. And in the dream, I felt God say, look for Nick. He'll give you the word of God. And so I Googled you. <laughs> and I found you. And I've been watching your live stream ever since. You're the only Nick on Google? I, I don't know. I guess that was the first one. And again, this is still feeling so fishy to me. And I'm like, is this, this is too weird. Uh, however it started, I think this is part of the like point two, that 
maybe he was misguided. Maybe he ate something funny for his dream. Maybe it was the voice of God. I don't know. But it's led to this really incredible friendship where every every couple of weeks we have another conversation. We, we're emailing back and forth every week. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while he'll ask, can you teach us about heaven? Like, what do you think about that? And then I get to replicate, right? To say, could you send us a message about prayer? Okay. And, and I'll show it to our people at church on Sunday. Um, and then... Uh, all of a sudden, when I hear more of his story, I realize, oh, he's not a pastor. Like he's started all these church house churches all oh, over okay. Southeast India, yeah, yeah. and he's bringing these pastors together once a month, and they watch the live stream, and they read the Bible, and they pray together, okay. and then they go back to their churches. So we're planning a trip to go there. That's amazing. What a connection. Yeah, yeah, and and, and again, you know, with with this kind of work, with missionary work, you're you're dealing with things that you don't fully understand. I'm dealing with things that I don't fully understand. I'm coming at it from a, a very personal experience, you know? And so, uh, of course, it's always important to, to keep an open mind, uh, keep an open spirit, <laughs> right? Uh, to listen, but also to be faithful and to be patient and to take the long road. I think this has been yeah. some of the takeaways from today that I've heard and I've, I've appreciated chatting with this. As always, I think it's important to, to try new things, right? To meet people, to be careful most of the time. This video podcast is a production of George Fox Digital. To find more material like this, you can subscribe to George Fox Talks on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Our team really appreciates your feedback in the form of likes, comments, and reviews, and we'd really love to hear what you think. To sign up for our weekly email list and to keep up to date with the latest episodes and publications, you can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.